Is it really that important to eat organic? What is conscious parenting? Is homeopathy actually work? Oh God, the flu. How do I beat it naturally? How do I prepare for birth? What are the benefits of meditation? This is Healthy Happy Home, the podcast community that offers discussions and solutions for a fully conscious and integrative approach to living and parenting. We will explore and open up the topics of natural health and well-being, holistic parenting, consciousness and work-life balance to empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. We're so grateful that you're joining us on this journey. We'd love it if you could take the time to rate, review and subscribe. It will help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. This season of Healthy Happy Home is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller. Mega Home are kindly offering listeners of the Healthy Happy Home podcast a 5% discount. Just use the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Mega Home. Looking for a wellness break in the UK? Well, you're in the right place. At Retreat Life, we take small groups on exclusive escapes to focus on well-being, fitness and health. Relax, reconnect and re-energise on one of our empowering retreats, all located in unique locations within the natural beauty of the British countryside. For more info, go to www.retreatlife.co.uk. Welcome to Healthy Happy Home and we're back again and we have just got a fantastic episode for you this week with Catherine Stagg, breastfeeding consultant, lactation consultant and she gave, did so much myth busting then for us didn't she? I just Like you said at the end of it it was like a myth busting session which I think was a really great analogy. Yeah it was a really really nice, I'm such a huge advocate for breastfeeding so I just wanted to have an episode about that where we could, where women, you know, have a place to come to understand or to get information that may, that maybe isn't so readily available to them to um, help them understand, you know, or, or, or help give them the encouragement to breastfeed um, and to know where to get the support from. So it was a really great episode and she gave us so many insights into, um, you know, all the misconceptions, like you say, the myth busting. Yeah, it was amazing actually to to know that so many there was a very high percentage of women that start off breastfeeding mm-hmm. and then it drops off after that. And I think that, like she was saying, there's not enough support for those first couple of weeks. So yeah. that would be a great thing for people to think about because then maybe you can get the support because you know or try and make sure you get some support for that bit or research into it a bit so you don't find yourself in that position because some people feel a bit upset if they then can't yeah, breastfeed. Or absolutely overwhelming. So I think the uh, takeaway message was very much do the research beforehand and implement your support system beforehand before you have the baby, which I think is really good advice. Um, And just to know that the UK has the world's lowest breast, like one of the, one of, we are one of the countries with the world's lowest breastfeeding rates, which is just madness. So um, also I, I I found it very interesting that you don't need ever to have formula really. That's not, not necessarily a thing. So that's, that's good to know. Get free from your boobs. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we are still in lockdown week nine. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, the sound quality isn't as good as we'd like it to be. We don't have a producer here with us and we're recording remotely and we do say it every week, but we just want to put it out there because there are some people who are quite big on sound quality with their podcasts and we don't want it to impact 
the content like the content is there and we you know we really want you to focus on the content and try and shut out any background noises you may hear so we apologize for any technical yeah. glitches and we will we'll get it back again we'll get it really good again so yeah absolutely we just got to do what we've got to do at the moment and um nice yeah like the zoom is brilliant i mean it's nice to actually be able to do the recordings anyway so yeah gives us an option for later on when we can't do it um if, if there's a time where we need to do it remotely at least we know we can yeah we're getting good at it we're getting good at it okay well yeah. hope you enjoy the episode and do give us any feedback um on instagram or facebook and um if there's any questions all Catherine's information will be is in the, are in the show notes so definitely hit her up she was amazing yeah so let's get straight into it okay enjoy Catherine Stagg has had over 13 years of experience supporting mums in breastfeeding their babies. She began her training after the birth of her twins when she was fortunate enough to receive wonderful breastfeeding support. She began as a breastfeeding peer, eventually qualifying as an international board certified lactation consultant before heading up the multiple birth breastfeeding project in Harrow. She continues to volunteer on the National Breastfeeding Helpline whenever she has some free time. Catherine founded Breastfeeding Twins and Triplets UK Facebook group, which has recently been accepted as a registered charity. The mission is to protect and promote breastfeeding in multiple birth families. So welcome, Catherine. Hi. Hi, thank Hi. you so much for being here. Can we start by asking, what is the difference between a breastfeeding peer and a lactation consultant? So um, breastfeeding uh, peer, it's peer supporter generally. Breastfeeding peer supporter is... Um, a mum who has had um, around sort of 12 weeks or so training. So it's sort of a course, it's usually done face to face, although there are a couple of ones that you can do um, online as well. And it's basically um, you become sort of like an educated friend. So you kind of know a bit about breastfeeding, you know about how um, breastfeeding works, what's normal with your baby and, and such like. So it's sort of a, a sort of, <coughs> excuse me, it's a basic level of of breastfeeding training. Um, in between that, there's a breastfeeding counsellor, which is um, a kind of next step up. Um, normally that's a kind of more like a kind of two year course and uh, several of the breastfeeding charities run a course for that, that um, level of breastfeeding training. And then there's an international board certified lactation consultant, which is basically, we have to have a thousand hours of clinical practice so a thousand hours of breastfeeding support um uh, under our belts before we're even allowed to apply for the exam and we have to have done 90 hours of um, lactation education as well mm -hmm. and you have to either be a health professional certified health professional or you have to do um uh how many is it i think it's about well, I've forgotten how many. Lots. <laughs> Lots. 14. 14. 14 health science courses. Wow. Kind of do the health background bit. So um, I'm a non-health professional, so I had to do the health science thing as well. Before they even allow you to apply for the exam, and then you have to do revise and do a four-hour exam afterwards as well. Wow. So it's a bit full on. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's so we sort of deal with the, the, the more kind of complicated, you know, issues and... and um, uh, you know, the more as well as the sort of um, more basic stuff and the emotional stuff and the counsellor stuff as well. So we kind of have a bit of everything. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so I guess what we wanted to talk to you about and our intention for the show really was to talk about why in the UK there is such a low um, number of people breastfeeding. And 
I guess there's a lot of sort of things that people don't realize why it's so important to breastfeed you know what are the things that are stopping people in your opinion and just we wanted to kind of open up the whole topic for mums new mums particularly I suppose cause it's good time to talk about it before you have the baby and for anyone that's struggling with breastfeeding now as we many people do uh, we just wanted to hear your hear your views on it yeah, I mean, it's a really, this is a really big question. <laughs> so it's like, um, <clears throat> basically, so what we have um, in the UK generally is a fairly good initiation rate. So that's the, the amount of mums who actually start breastfeeding. So the ones who, you know, so we assume that the ones that start breastfeeding want to breastfeed. We, so, you know, that's, that's what we assume. And I think it's around um, 80, I think it was 81% last time they, they did a, a survey. So it's quite a high, you know, number of mums that actually want to breastfeed. The problem is that um, over the first few weeks, um, it's it's quite tricky and, and things can kind of go wrong quite easily. And at the moment, um, the breastfeeding support is a little bit patchy, let's say. It's sort of um, it, it very much a postcode lottery as to what you have available. Mm. Um, there's kind of no standard there's sort of no you know sort of what every area should have is this blah 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 you know they should have a plan really yeah. uh, and it should be available to every mum so um, this is what, what's happening really at the moment so a lot of people kind of fall through the cracks and they don't know where to look for support they don't understand what's available in that area because you know it's not known let's say yeah. uh, and sometimes it all their support has actually just been cut. We've had lots of funding um, issues uh, with breastfeeding support in the last sort of, yeah. especially the last five years or so, um, definitely. And uh, so quite a few breastfeeding support groups, things like that have closed. Um, a lot of the, the kind of children's centers have shut, you know, so a lot of breastfeeding support groups would have been in children's centers. Mm. So, you know, it's quite difficult to, to access sometimes and know where to, um, ask for help I think it's difficult and you know when you're a new mum you're you're very vulnerable and you, you know if the smallest thing goes wrong or yeah. doesn't quite feel right it, it can be really um, it can just send everything off the rails completely and, and it's just very easy for uh, you know to kind of just start adding some formula and you know and if you're mix feeding without support as well sometimes it can just spiral and you end up more and more formula and less and less breastfeeding and then the baby starts refusing to go on the breast because the milk supply's dropped and it's all it all can kind yeah. of you know spiral out of the way so you know ideally what we what i would love to see in this country um is for firstly breastfeeding to be valued by everybody um you know there are many health professionals in, in this country that really don't see the point of breastfeeding yeah um we all know if you just have to google breastfeeding and why you should breastfeed there's a whole host of health reasons for it <laughs> so yeah it's not difficult to find out you know why um a lot of mums feel that they are kind of pressured into wanting to breast or you know they should breastfeed so we get this kind of thing where, where mums feel that they ought to, but then once they actually start, the, the support isn't there to ha then help them afterwards, which is just, it's very, it's actually really cruel because, you know, you're kind of promoting all these benefits and everything like that, you know, and then once they've had the baby, it kind of just disappears. And, and you know, we quite often get um, people suggesting formula top-ups when baby isn't putting on weight or isn't feeling very well or... You know where there's actually a load of interventions that you could actually try before doing that you know mm -hmm. if you actually spent time 
a lot of health professionals don't actually have the time to sit with a mum and watch a whole feed, for example. So, you know, if they're in hospital, you know, midwives have like loads of mums on their case books at the same time. You know, they're sort of dealing with several different people at once. Um, and really to get sort of good quality breastfeeding support, you really need a good hour with a mum at least, you know, mm. to actually sit with a mum, watch the baby feed, watch the whole feed, describe what's happening, what's normal, what to look for. Um, how mum knows whether it's working or not, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and it really takes a kind of whole feed, both sides of the breast, you know, and new babies quite often take quite a long time to feed. So yeah. <laughs> it really and does need, you know. Yeah, and every every baby is different and every mum is different. So it's yeah. not that so you really need that kind of individual support for each mum, really, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the way the healthcare um, is set up at the moment um it, the, the, the midwives i mean the midwives do a brilliant job and they really really want to do a better job as well you know they're absolutely gutted that they can't spend the time mm. with mums and actually help them to get um, breastfeeding going better you know and at the moment especially with, with covid going on as well i mean some mums are only spending five or six hours in hospital after they've had their baby yeah so only had one or two feeds before they're actually discharged even you know and then they're discharging the but can we let, let's unravel that sorry let's just unravel that a little bit yeah people that are listening who are probably thinking okay so what can i do about this firstly are midwives trained in breastfeeding at all so most um uh, a lot of hospitals now are doing um unicef baby friendly um which is basically a sort of it is actually quite a basic level of breastfeeding um sort of support and promotion and protection i always like to call it as well um so you know but a lot of hospitals that are going through the process now to actually become unicef baby friendly um accredited and it's a three-stage process and once they've done that they have to make sure that all their staff have had um a, a, been through a, a two-day training course so um they should have so it's so, sort of it's not actually even peer support level you know it's sort of a bit under that it's a different scenario because it's you know for hospital-based support so it's a, it's a different type of course than what you would get for a support course but it is a fairly basic level but it should cover things like you know how to get a baby to latch on well and what's normal behavior for the first you know week or so some mums are in hospital for up to a week you know mm. um and uh sometimes the community is also going through this um unicef baby friend at the same time or, or a similar time and so the health um, visitors and community midwives will also be trained um to make sure that they can support again at a, at a sort of fairly basic level um there ought to be an infant feeding lead in place for each trust as well mm. and they should have a, a, a higher level of um breastfeeding training really however it's not always the case so <laughs> so you can't actually get an infant feeding um specialist job without any infant feeding training which is yeah this is the problem that that i um that i have because i have many friends who I mean, I, when I say many, I'm literally talking handfuls of friends who were all told in the hospital by midwives, add formula, he doesn't weigh enough, not feeding enough, add some formula, get the weight up, um, which isn't the kind of advice that is, it's not correct advice for a mother who wants to breastfeed, right? Mm. Not, not always. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is the only way. You know what I mean? But there are many other ways of, of trying first as well. You know, so we would always first try and get mum to express you know if they if their mm. baby does need more milk firstly you would make sure the baby is feeding well i mean that's the the absolute basic you know so you make sure actually the baby is feeding well and latching on well and also you make sure that baby's actually waking themselves for feeds because they can be quite 
sleepy in the early days mm. in the first couple of days babies especially if they've had lots of drugs in labor or if they've mum's had a very long labor or, or you know a bit of a traumatic start that sort of thing babies can actually be quite sleepy and they just don't wake enough to feed and so you know we have this thing in our society of the good baby good babies yeah 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 <laughs> i hated that so many people said that to me after both my kids is he a good baby is she good and i used to go what does good mean does she sleep no she doesn't I love that expression, sleep like a baby. Since when did a baby sleep well? They sleep terribly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially <laughs> mine. <laughs> yes. So, you know, we have to make sure that the baby is actually, you know, it, it was feeding on demand, which we now prefer to say responsive feeding. It's a much, much nicer way of putting it. Um, but you do have to make sure the baby is actually demanding, you know, <laughs> to actually yeah. feed. So this is one of the things that quite often happens in the first sort of 48 hours that the baby is a bit sleepy and they just haven't, they haven't, cued to feed they haven't woken up to feed enough so quite often just actually waking the baby and getting them to latch on can really help and and also mum should be supported to hand express so they can hand express their colostrum mm. so they can give a little bit extra they can also it really helps wake the baby up as well so you can actually hand express a bit of colostrum and, and give it to the baby and um you can syringe feed it which you can do pretty much when baby's very sleepy and it works and then quite often that little kind of just boost of calories or kind of wake the baby up enough and then you can try feeding them directly and they'll be more likely to you know mm. take it but and you know there's so much things you can do without reaching for the formula immediately so what if there are women who so let's just assume that the support isn't in place because on the whole as much as i think like you say midwives would like to be able to give the right support but there isn't anything in place in the system itself so what should mothers do in that case? Do they seek out a private lactation consultant? Is that the only way forward? I think one of the first things that they should do even before having the baby is actually just learn a bit about breastfeeding. Yes, I is so it... agree with that. I, yeah. I I always say that to women that I speak to because I I always knew that I wanted to breastfeed and I I just made sure beforehand that I'd spoken to a lactation consultant and I read the womanly art of breastfeeding. I was gonna say this is so Lauren. I love it. She's read you're so good. You just read like lots of books and do research. Yeah, research. I know I I know I'm annoying, I know. I know that not everyone does I am a bit annoying like that and I research everything. But I feel like giving myself the information before I had the baby was the reason that because I I had damaged milk ducts and I came across a whole host of awful breastfeeding problems which we'll get into after but it it meant that I was prepared I was set up for what was going to happen and what I hear from women a lot is I'll give it a go but you know if it's too hard I'm not going to pressure myself and I feel like although we don't want to put added pressure on new mums there is an element of that because this is our baby who deserves the best and maybe there is an added element of pressure that we should put on ourselves that little bit. And if with, with the right support, it shouldn't feel like pressure. It should just feel like this is a way forward that I want to do. This is what I want to do. And here are the ways that I'm going to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, so I think, and you know, the, the, I think the majority of, of mums do want to breastfeed and, and, 
they deserve, you know, they deserve to have the support there, really. But yeah, one thing that they can really do is get themselves educated before baby arrives. And, you know, mm. there's loads of ways to do that. There's lots of courses you can do. There's online courses. There's, you know, you can do face-to-face -face ones when coronavirus is not around. Um, you know, you can, a lot of hospitals have an antenatal um, breastfeeding course. You can you can do things with, you know, like sign up to the NCT courses. You can... Um, you do them as well, do you? I saw on your website that you do video consulting. Yes, exactly. A lot of lactation consultants all, all, all do. We either do, myself and my colleague Miriam Fien, who's another lactation consultant in, well, I'm in Harrow, she's in Pinner, so we're next to each other. And uh, we do um, a sort of antenatal breastfeeding session, um, you know, where we have sort of four or five mums uh, and partners usually coming along. And it's really lovely. And we talk for two hours and lots of questions and stuff like that. <laughs> it works really well. Um, and we also do individual as well. So, you know, someone who's, especially if they've got a specific issue that they might have. So, you know, for example, you know, Lauren, in your situation, it, you know, it's probably a really good idea to have a, a kind of one-to-one -one session, you know, to kind of unpick of, you know, if you've got a particular pro problem that you think might have, you know, sort of influence your breastfeeding or it might have, cause problems it can be quite a good idea i do a lot of twin mums as well you know because obviously that's a bit daunting um yeah i can imagine if people know they're having <laughs> if people know they're having twins they probably would actually prepare more than people i think you're right actually this is what we yeah. see in our facebook group is that a, a lot of mums they join when they're pregnant and because they immediately as soon as they're expecting twins that they go Oh my goodness, am I going to be able to breastfeed? And then they actually start asking that and then they yeah. find out and, you know. I'd like to just pivot back a moment just because I really want to spend time on the feeding multiples um, topic. But before we do, I think, can you talk us through why breastfeeding is so important? Because there'll be people listening to this with that whole kind of rhetoric in their minds thinking, I might do it, I might not, I'll see how it goes. What swayed it for me was knowing what was in breast milk what breast milk is doing for the immune system what it's doing long term yeah. can you talk us through all of that so i think the first most important thing is that is is what we are supposed to do as humans yeah. we are supposed to feed our babies we're mammals we are supposed to feed our babies milk that is meant for humans and so our, our breast milk is tailor-made for growing a human baby in the correct way as long as breastfeeding is going well obviously um, so it's got everything that a baby human needs to grow their brain properly, to grow their body properly. Um, the act of breastfeeding also um, sort of fulfills a lot of other roles with attachment and bonding. Um, mm. You know, it protects the, um, uh, the bond between the mum and the baby. Um, it, you know, not discounting all the health um, sort of things, you know, but, but actually, the, uh, for me personally, it's the actual act of breastfeeding for me that's actually the most important thing the mm. thing that i would have i think missed out on the most if i hadn't breastfed yeah that um, lovely oxytocin feeling exactly. that you get with that hormone isn't it yeah and you know to put it completely bluntly it did prevent me from throwing my children out the window because <laughs> <laughs> they were attached to your boobs <laughs> <laughs> because i was like you know i really can't because i'm actually feeling like i'm bonding with them and i have to and i can't you know what i mean i have to be here and breastfeed so you know it really does protect the baby actually as well from you know because it's really hard having a new baby yeah. so you can yeah. it gives us that kind of primal attachment doesn't it yeah, exactly. yeah. so really really reinforces that and yeah and then there are also you know loads of health benefits as well we shouldn't say health benefits because actually it's what we are supposed to do. it's the normal side of things it's actually there are risks to formula feeding actually is is what is a, a kind of 
more medical way of putting it and you know we were a little bit shy in this society of saying that because of wanting to offend people and you know not wanting to offend people but you know formula isn't the norm it's not what we're supposed to do formula is cow's milk that has been highly processed in order to make it basically tolerable for humans and to make their humans grow in a human-like way because if you gave your baby cow's milk it would have the growth chart of a baby cow which is mm. kind of not what a human should grow like you know cows have to walk very quickly they have to put a lot of body weight on very quickly and so the balance of nutrients is not correct for a human mm -hmm. and so they have to take the balance the nutrients they have to add loads of stuff to it they have to adjust all the balance between lactose and uh, proteins and fats to make it the right um consistency for a human um you know they add loads of stuff in to try and sort of mimic some of the other qualities in, in breast milk but it's a man-made substance at the end of the day and it's not you know and the other thing is not live. So breast milk is a live substance. It's got all the live immunological stuff in it, basically. So, for example, if you're sitting in a cafe and someone sneezes nearby and you've got to, you know, we're not sure of coronavirus yet, but say you've just got a common cold <laughs> <laughs> and you're exposed to these, um, uh, you know, the germs, basically, within around sort of 20 minutes to half an hour or so, your breasts will actually start making antibodies to the particular virus that you've been exposed to. I love that. Isn't yeah. it amazing? No, it's with the re dehydration as well, I heard as well, like if a baby's more dehydrated, does the liquid, the milk changes as well to adapt? To yeah, it's to do with hot weather and actually feed, feeding pattern is what actually um, drives it. So babies will, um, so the beginning of the feed is, has more fluids you know it's more water content just to start with when the first milk kind of lets down and so a lot of babies if they're kind of feeling particularly thirsty will just have the first bit because they want to drink and then they'll swap mm -hmm. sides and want another drink on the other side and so your milk has has more water content because of that um so they tend to have lots of short feeds in hot weather and then you know you have the odd uh, sort of bigger one where they kind of want a good hearty three-course dinner <laughs> you know, sort of that you have a longer feed um, so yeah, it's very, very clever stuff and it actually changes, um, so all the constitu constituents kind of change a little bit from morning to night as well. They also change as your baby grows and, and, it, and, and the actual balance again of nutrients changes slightly as your baby gets older. And again, that's driven by the pattern that they, they're feeding, you know, so the way they feed. So toddlers, for example, will feed in kind of sort of much faster, stronger feeds with that, you know, which don't maybe last so long. And so actually that alters the the way the milk is made quite fascinating stuff and i was going to ask you actually because do you think that with the time what would you recommend then the timing because it's six months they recommend but on the sort of nhs website isn't it but obviously people do longer up to a year two years is that i thought that the uk recommended up to two years was that not is that not the recommended um oh sorry i've got that wrong there yeah so it's six year six years Start again. It's six hours. I can't even speak now. Oh my god! It's six months. Blame, blame it on lockdown. <laughs> yeah, homeschooling. You've already taught all whole day. It's six months. I'm six months. I'll start that again. Six months exclusive breastfeeding. So that's where the six months come from. Right. Yeah. So six months exclusive breastfeeding. Um, basically, babies don't need anything else in the first six months. Uh, just just um, breast milk is all they need, and then um, you begin to add some solid foods and you can then continue to breastfeed and the world health organization and the nhs as well um recommends to continue breastfeeding um up to two years and beyond mm. so if you, if you get um if you manage to breastfeed for two years that kind of maximizes all the kind of health benefits you know sort of thing that you that you can give your baby and you as well 
And minimizes risks of what sort of things? So minimizes, um, uh, so from a, from a sort of health, from a parent's point of view, from the mum's point of view, it's things like breast cancer and such like, the more you breastfeed, the less risk of breast cancer you have. So the, if you have longer stretches and then you also have more than one child, sometimes like, you know, so a mum that is breastfed maybe for four or five, six years or in total, is gonna have less risk of breast cancer than, than a mum who feeds for six weeks, for example. Um, so that's one big one. There's lots of other cancers. It's protected ovarian cancer, especially as well. Um, um, you're less likely to get osteoporosis later on from the mum's point of view. A lot of people don't forget about the mum's health benefits. So I always quite like to... Um... I love that it that it, it protects, protects the woman from cancers that specifically affect women because it's like yeah. nature giving back to us yes when we're in our female power it's kind of giving back exactly. i just really well, I love that because it's actually what we're supposed to do you know yeah. this is the thing. so if our bodies don't do what they're supposed to do they're more likely to yeah. come to harm i don't know if that's yeah. the right way of putting it but you know, so yeah the balance goes out yeah a bit. exactly yeah. so you know um so there's that and then we, yeah for babies there's well, i mean massive amounts of things you know so allergens is a big one um mm. so um cow's milk is is an allergen and so sometimes uh a baby that's been exposed to cow's milk especially early on can go on to have more allergies later on it's um it's very kind of new research but uh, one of the main things again is the microbiome so this is really really kind of new as well in the last five years or so they've been researching this my favorite so, subject i could talk uh, about microbiome until the cows come home <laughs> <laughs> so bre uh, breast milk is is very protective of the microbiome it's the most amazing stuff because it has all these immunological factors that, that kind of kill off anything bad that happens to be in the gut uh, but it also has oligosaccharides which are a special sugar uh, nobody really knew what it was for until fairly recently because the baby can't digest it so it's not for the baby and what they've worked out is it actually feeds the good bacteria in the baby's gut as well oh, wow so you've got this amazing kind of balance going on breast milk has got all the antibodies and everything killing off all the bad stuff and then the oligosaccharides kind of feeding all the good stuff and this so is amazing perfect microbiome exactly what's what we should be getting you know well and, and cognitive behavior as well i've read that it's supposed to later on help with your yes we don't know for sure whether it's the actual milk or whether it's the act of breastfeeding yeah. so um breast milk has uh, um lactase uh, human you know lactase as well which which was a lot to do with, with building brains um and but there's also a lot of brain um development and you know brain connections made when you're actually breastfeeding and responding to your baby and you know cuddling them a lot and breastfeeding yeah. them and skin to skin and you know all this sort of um stuff as well and so there's a bit of both from a kind of you know the iq point of view yeah yeah it's just so fascinating i just i think this is the stuff that a lot of women don't know i, I heard someone say to me once um you know the the ensign it wasn't nct it was just a private antenatal the antenatal teacher said that um formula basically you know in these days matches up to breast milk there's just no point breastfeeding and I couldn't believe that someone had said that um whether or not this girl had made it up or whether the antenatal teacher had said that regardless of what we choose to do or what our circumstances enable us to do that is certainly not the case because first of all like you say about allergens it's not it's not just like people then say oh oh he's intolerant to cow's milk we're all intolerant to cow's milk because we're not cows that 
that's it you know and our our baby's bodies are not set up for the hydrogenated oils and the synthetic vitamins and stuff that's packed into these formulas so you know yes we have to make it clear right now this isn't a judgment on anyone who gives formula because we we you know this is not a judgment this episode really is just to empower women to give women the knowledge and um you know the 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 encouragement to understand why breastfeeding is going to protect your baby more than formula can it is a hell of a lot better than it used to be you know what i mean and they really have worked very very hard in order to put as much you know stuff in it that they can to actually kind of grow babies well and you know and and they're trying they're always researching all the time to try and Mm. try and get it better so so it is much better and yeah listen if you're in a situation like i was in where i i mean i i carried on breastfeeding but i had to give formula a, a little bit um, and then I had other friends pumping for me and giving me their milk, which it. was amazing. Yeah, it was so amazing. Um, tried, we tried to do that as much as possible, but I, I didn't have a choice. I had damaged milk ducts and I was in hospital. I had severe mastitis and um, a whole range of other things. But So I literally didn't have a choice. So yes, it was good to know that my baby's not going to be hugely affected, you know, in a bad way. But I was still aware that I wanted to work with my homeopath after that to... Um, to encourage the healthy microbiome and to kind of fix anything that the the formula may have done. Do you think some of the problem, um, some of the problem could be that obviously when the formula companies and they would advertise their formula, they would be saying this is as good or this is very good. So there might be in some ways that you're getting a kind of like a mixed message early on where you. They're not allowed to say that, are they? Are they? Not technically, but they get around it. Yeah, exactly. So they're very clever. No, so advertising a first stage formula is actually banned um, in the UK um, because we can't spend the same amount of money on on advertising breast milk, basically, and breastfeeding because we just don't have the budget, you know. And so um, in order to sort of help protect it. However, the UK hasn't signed up fully to the... So it's the World Health Organisation. It's the... um, the uh, the WHO code, which is the code of um, uh, promotion of breastfeeding s- um, substitutes, basically, you're, you're you're really not supposed to be able to advertise um, first stage milk or any formula. Um, you're not supposed to be advertised um, sort of bottle brands and um, you know any sort of teats as well that that can kind of get in the way of, of getting breastfeeding going. And because we're not fully signed up, we're we're only signed up partially and we just do the kind of first stage formula and so the the formula company has actually invented um stage two formula which is actually completely unnecessary you don't there's there's no reason to have stage two formula other than the fact that they can advertise it i'm really so naughty isn't it yes and so they have these babies on the adverts that are just about six months yeah the cut off (laughs) so and uh you know and they have a lot of kind of when you decide to move on from breastfeeding, blah 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 blah. You know, why would you decide to move on from breastfeeding at six months? It's that's when it gets easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the recommend, yeah, because in in my head, and I mean I haven't breastfed for a long time. In my head, I feel like at six months, that's when people start to add formula in and food. But are you saying that actually you don't need to ever really add any formula in? You can just keep adding food, and then just the breast milk might go down a bit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That is, advertising. That is the power of advertising. It I is. Think. Yeah, exactly. So you never need to, you know, if your breastfeeding journey's gone well, you never need to ever give any formula at all. 
mm. it's there and you know a lot of they also advertise their toddler milks and all that sort of stuff as well and it's completely unnecessary you don't need them and do you think that one of the reasons that women um or mums think that is because they do worry that they're not getting enough from the milk that's another cut there's a few misconceptions i guess that we want to bust out now don't we lauren but yeah. one of them would be that they're not getting enough nutrition from their own milk but that's not true at all is it no um, if we if that was the case we wouldn't have survived as a human race so you know yeah there you go <laughs> I, I love that every lactation consultant uses that Good answer. because formula was only invented you know in the last hundred years so yeah what are the things what are the um things holding women back what sort of physical things can happen to um make breastfeeding really hard for women and how can we work around those things um so um basically 95 percent of probably problems that i see are, are, are based on getting a good latch so if you can if you can kind of really work on that so again your antenatal breastfeeding education you can watch videos you can you know, have a one-to-one -one session, you can kind of get talked through exactly how it works, etc. However, you know, you've got this nice new wriggly baby, you know, dolls don't wriggle. That's <laughs> so when you're trying to practice with a doll, it doesn't work quite so well. You know, it can be quite daunting. Babies are a little bit sleepy, trying to get them on well and things like that. So getting some help after birth is a really good idea. That breastfeeding pillow was brilliant. You know, the one that just holds the baby in place. Yeah, but actually they get in the way of getting a deep latch quite often. Oh, do they? they do so what i usually suggest i don't mind mums using them at all but yeah. i usually suggest latch baby without it first and then so you get a really okay. good latch and then once once baby's on and feeding well you can slide it in and you can lean on okay. it if you want to um the main the main reason is that you have a baby um sort of lying on the pillow mum leans forward and kind of puts a boob in the mouth mm. you know they're like that and they're kind of hunched over and it's kind of you know uncomfortable and baby can't put the head back and he's able to put the head back in order to latch on well because the pillow's there in the way, you know, so they've got, mm. yeah, so it's, it's paraphernalia actually kind of gets in the way. Really all you need to have to breastfeed is boobs and a baby, and you don't actually need to. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Leaning back a bit really, really helps. A lot of mums don't do that, and you, we don't see it in our sort of breastfeeding, the pictures and all that sort of stuff. So doing a slightly more laid back position, there's an actual, there's an actual position called a laid back position when, where mm. baby actually starts just lying on your chest and they kind of self-latch, but... A lot of mums do that straight after birth when they're, you know, when they're sort of lying quite horizontal. Um, after cesarean or after uh, um, natural birth, it works fine. Uh, but also, actually, when you're even just doing the kind of normal kind of cradle holds that we, we see a lot, actually leaning back a bit once you get baby on, they feel really grounded because they're lying across your tummy on their, you know, on their tummy, which they really like. They often feed really well when mm. they've got a bit of pressure on their tummy. Keeps baby really nice and close in. So they, they maintain the latch because babies can't maintain a latch on their own. They have to be held in a really good position. And if you're leaning forward and baby's in your arms, it gets tired, arms tired, and you relax, and baby slips off the nipple, and it gets mm. the end. You know, so so a lot of a lot of things is to do with getting a good latch. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a once you've seen lots of babies breastfeeding, you can just tell. You know, I can tell from the other side of a room whether baby's latched on well or not. You know, so, it's, it's, yeah. so we have a lot of experience when you've seen it a lot. If you've never seen a baby breastfeed, particularly, you know, we, in our society, we quite often don't see it, or we may be the first one of our group of friends who's had a baby, or we might have. You know, for me, I had not even held a baby before I had my own. I mean, I really, just, and you had twins. I know, I had two at once. It was a bit of a baptism of fire that one. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was, you know, we don't actually have that experience because we don't live in our kind of villages anymore and see our, you know, 
sisters and cousins yeah. and everybody having their babies mm -hmm. so much you know so and also we've lost our breastfeeding society anyway yes so the generation before us you know really was not breastfeeding very much and yeah. so you know we, we don't have that either you know so it kind of really helps and then there's just other things that you know that can cause a few problems so uh, you know a sleepy baby in the beginning can can be a big big problem um because they just don't cue to feed enough and that can have an impact on your milk supply to start with you know so you sometimes have to they start having to have extra milk and you know they get discharged with formula top-ups and then you have to work to try and reduce them and get off them again and you know it's just more more hard work they haven't started off well um most of the actual breastfeeding problems that we see a lot of them are caused by the the latch being a bit off to start with in the first place so if, you know if you can get that latch good you're less likely to have things like mastitis and you're less likely to have thrush uh, because thrush actually gets in when you've got a damaged nipple um you're less likely to have damaged nipples for example um oh it's bloody painful oh it is I've, yeah we've all been there i've had this one <laughs> would you recommend people like brushing their nipples a bit to toughen them up in the beginning before you had the baby i remember people no saying research that actually work that works at all <laughs> okay get the male brush away from the boobs right yeah, now. oh god just the idea of that is making me go all funny <laughs> So well, it no, is very actually, painful. It's, it can it be can, very painful. Yeah, it can be painful. And if you if you do have the latch, sometimes mums get a bit of pain in that that kind of initial latch on in that kind of first 10 15 seconds. Yeah. That can be a bit to do with kind of just nipples stretching a bit and ligaments stretching and, and all, you know, just, you know, you've never used your breast in that way before. It's like sort of been sucked by Hoover, isn't it? Sort of <laughs> very strong. And so it can be a little bit kind of, ooh, but if you're finding the rest of the feed is comfortable, then that's, that's kind of okay. And that wears off after the first. So that's a good sign. So yeah, yeah and the majority of the feed needs to be comfortable. And the breast milk, can you put it on the, if your boobs are sore, what would you recommend like putting? Yeah, there? breast milk's got a lot of antibacterial um, properties in it. So it's a really good thing to put on uh, after you've had a feed. So you just you know, hand express a little bit, just rub it in. Um, if you've got actual cracks, then it can be useful to um, put on a, a cream of some description. Um, a lot of people use lanolin. Lanolin is, is works well. Um, it's not the only thing actually vaseline is just as effective and also safe for baby there's no reason not to use it and a hell of a lot cheaper um <laughs> so some people are allergic to lanolin because it's um made from sheep's wool and and they can be allergic to it so it can cause problems occasionally as well um but actually breast milk is the is the, the really the best thing you can use to be honest and do you find that most people just have a point because i remember from me person my personal experience with both babies there was a point where it was really hurting and it was bloody awful and then suddenly it was fine. And then it was like, okay, I've got the cabbage. I had cabbages on my boobs at my mum's house, I remember. And then, then after, then it just settled down. And then, then I was had no. It was very easy because actually you don't have to do any. It didn't have to do any sterilising or anything like that. But there was just that bit that was really hard to get over. But once you yeah. get over that, is that kind of a standard? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. So the first few weeks can be quite tricky and a little bit uncomfortable and everyone's learning, baby's learning, mum's learning. You know, it's a new skill. Um, everyone has to practice. You know, it's, it's, you know, we say breastfeeding is natural. It is natural, but it is also a learned skill at the same time. So, you know, you can't expect to have it perfected immediately. So, you know, it takes a bit of work. Um, babies like to breastfeed a lot. This is the other thing that people don't expect. You know, they really do like to breastfeed frequently. Yeah, they're not. They don't come out born on this seven, eleven, three, seven Ooh. time schedule, do they? <laughs> I and mean, you've got to be prepared for that. 
you're doing a lot of people oh, it's, and this thing so the, the research shows that the average breastfed baby feeds 11 times in 24 hours yeah. i mean i do think that's a that's an issue that maybe some women have is that you go through the pregnancy and i was saying this to lauren earlier you know you go through the whole thing and you think especially if you're a new mum oh when the baby comes out i'm going to go back and have my life a bit and actually when the baby comes out your boobs are like the size of the house and sore and milky and your stomach is still there and then suddenly you've got all the responsibility of feeding the baby and it's very overwhelming because you were sort of slightly expecting that the pregnancy was it and the birth was it and then you're going to be free again you know so maybe it's that sort of you know preparing for that people don't really have that we don't nobody talks about it really when you know Silly, what did you what was your experience with that because you did breastfeed um and and it did come fairly easily to you after the initial soreness were you prepared for the amount the, the amount of time i mean the thing with you is you're you're such a laid-back person that not, that kind of these things don't phase you you just kind of get on go with the flow yeah. of it don't you you know i i think for me because both of my well my first one was um six weeks early so i hadn't even read that far in the book of giving you know the birth, the pregnancy so let alone thinking about what the birth is going to be like or breastfeed or anything i just hadn't got that far but i mean i was i must have been lucky to have uh, mother-in-law nearby because I was in a hospital for 10 days with a premature baby there was nurses there and they were very keen to get the colostrum make sure I started breastfeeding and so I had I had the attention mm -hmm. on you had that initial them. support yeah they were showing me how to do it lift the thing and so then it was fine I mean I think with my second baby because I wasn't in hospital for any time and I was out within a day I then got very sore nipples with her so it like you were saying because I had nurses there they were helping me because he was obviously premature it was it was a much easier experience yeah so then I think I found it I really you know I loved it but so it, then it it, it shows that weeks, you need it does help. come down to the support doesn't it and yeah, I know it. that if I didn't know that lactation consultants were a thing I honestly don't know what I would have done I mean i it was the most painful, just traumatic experience. Well, I've both times, and I thought I was told that the second time wouldn't be as bad as the first time because all the pathways had opened. Mm. But the second time, I got more ill than the first time. Um, did, you, did you get mastitis? I got mastitis four times. Um, so, I mean, I was in hospital. I had a I was under a breast consultant. I mean, it's such a long story as to why I've got damaged milk ducts, but I didn't know what was going on and, you know, kind of had to find these missing pieces. And, but from my side of it, I wasn't trying, because I worry that people kind of feel this as a, like, I'm not, I wasn't trying to be a martyr in any way. My reasons for wanting to breastfeed were I had an autoimmune disease that was triggered just before I was two. Um, we know through research in epigenetics that this is all lifestyle related. We can stop gene expression. We can stop genes, certain genes from being turned on with the right lifestyle. So I felt this immense pressure, not from anyone else, just I knew that breast milk, after kind of trying to have a calm birth and passing on all the right microbiome to the baby through the birth, the next thing that I could do to ensure gut health and therefore immune health was breastfeeding so I felt yes I did feel this pressure and I I was okay with that I was okay with the pressure because that was part of you knew, and because you knew what you want why you wanted you, and it, yeah it was part of my journey as a mother like I'm going to do what I can to to prevent my kids going through what I went through um and I'm gonna put them first and um I'm not saying that's always advisable because some women are suffering with postnatal depression
Postnatal depression is such a big thing though, isn't it? Much bigger than people think. How do you find that with, that must really affect the breast. Maybe that's why the breastfeeding numbers go down after a few weeks, you think as well? Quite interesting with, with postnatal depression, a lot of mums who actually, um, uh, in my experience, who are, are suffering with postnatal depression actually don't want to stop because it's the one thing that they think they're doing right. I've for got them. a friend who's told me that recently, a new friend who said that she, her, the breastfeeding was what got her through the postnatal depression. Yeah. Well, that's so, good. you know, it's really, really important not to tell, you know, so in our society, again, we quite often say, oh, you know, if you're depressed, it's, yeah. it's breastfeeding, it's just too much for you, you can't cope with it. It's, you know, and actually it's, it's quite often not that, it's actually, it's it's just being a mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and know, and that's people's first response for everything. That's what everyone said to me, stop yeah. breast, you know, just stop. It's okay, just stop, you know, all the time. And if, if my resolve wasn't as strong as it was in terms of what, knowing that I really wanted to continue, I would have stopped because everyone, pretty much everyone around me was telling me to stop. Yeah. Well, I suppose that it's a very, it's just misguided at first because what they're really saying is that mums don't look after, you don't get enough time. Yeah, like they they worry about place. Yeah, everyone's worrying about us and that's great. But, you know, also if a mum wants to breastfeed, the people around her need to be informed on how to support her to do that. Yeah, and, exactly. so, and also like when you see people breastfeeding older kids, there's a lot of people yeah. that go, oh, that's a bit weird. Like, oh, why are they doing that? That kid's like talking and crawling. So what, do, how do you, how do you think we bust out those myths if people want to carry on there? They can. It's, it's a really tough one because we're just, we're just not used to it in our society. There's a lot yeah. of societies in the world where, where breastfeeding, you know, into childhood is quite normal. And again, it's what we're supposed to do as humans. It's, it's, um, you know, what, what we're supposed to do. Our babies have milk teeth. They're called milk teeth for a reason because mm. they're supposed to be still breastfeeding when they have them. <laughs> so, and as they, I never uh, thought of that. That's so cute. And, and from a scientific perspective, um, our gut microbiome is not uh, and our, our, our guts um maturity is not doesn't reach full maturity until the age of three in terms of microbiome so yeah. there's a reason why um eastern cultures and kind of non-western cultures you know people living kind of just following yeah. the physiological um way of things breastfeed into toddlerhood and beyond yeah it's, oh, a, it's how... a biological norm again it's what we're supposed to do and it's you know how we're set up to to um feed our babies is what we're supposed to do so the average age around the world so they say i'm not quite sure where this piece of research came from but it's just what everyone knows is that it's about age four for for weaning off the breast mm. um uh, when you imagine that you know that counts the western cultures <laughs> yeah. well. so it's uh you know it's quite but you know there is more kind of feeding older babies out there than you think there are you know there's a, a fair few people that that do do it um and because you know with older babies you tend to you, you don't have to feed them all the time they only feed two three times a day you know what I mean? yeah that's the thing with me i rarely i'm still feeding my 18 month old but i i don't i rarely need to feed her out of the house so people wouldn't see it it's much and it's just it's just not you know normal i um so my youngest was three and 11 months when he stopped it was it was fine but you know then and I, I didn't really feed him out about much in the last year and a half really i would say probably two years even and i'm a lactation on you know so but you just don't need to <laughs> it's just not how it works but um you know it's uh, but it's out there but you know we did have a few so i used to volunteer in a local breastfeeding cafe and, and a couple of our peer supporters were, were feeding toddlers at the time mm. and um i remember one mum who came in with her 
you know, quite a new baby. And the, the peer supporter was feeding her, I think he was about three at the time. And the mum just went, oh, how old is that baby? <laughs> <gasps> and she was just like, you know, she was just utterly gums about her jaws on the floor completely because she'd just never seen it. But we've had a lot of feedback since then as well on, you know, on, on other things when, when mums had seen that you could actually, could breastfeed mm. longer and actually either so then did themselves later on you know so yeah yeah it's it, all about it, what our perceptions and what we're shown and i mean i stopped feeding my twins at about one because i thought you were supposed to i thought we were supposed to feed for about one and then you stopped and so i win them off yeah and then kind of i trained as peer sport just afterwards and a lot of people in my peer sport training course were still breastfeeding and i was just like oh, oh <laughs> were you really upset <laughs> i kind of really regretted it um, and it was, yeah, it was a bit sad, but it's just, you know, I just thought that's what you did. You know, you've breastfed for a year. I mean, that's good going for twins. I was, yeah, I'm certainly not. A year is good as well. Yeah. I mean, you would say that about it now, but, <laughs> so, but, um, you know, actually looking back, I could quite easily have carried on and it would have been, it would have been nice. Um, but yeah, we're, so with my, with my third and fourth, I've got four together with my third and fourth, I, um, breastfed them a lot longer and actually my older two had quite a lot of allergies. And so that was another reason for me to actually continue to yeah. breastfeed my younger ones because I wanted mm -hmm. to kind of ensure that I protected them as much as possible. So a bit of a bit of investment in getting women breastfeeding consultants for free in those first few weeks after they leave hospital could actually then save A, the mum a lot of money on formula and B, a lot of uh, government health problems later on for children. So it would be a really good use of a bit of money. It oh, would. Yes. But in the meantime, while they're not doing that, I have to say as someone that did get a lactation consultant, it is an investment for us. Like there are certain things that we can spend our money on and I would rather have the cheaper buggy and go for the lactation consultant. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that expensive. Um, and we are spending money, you know, in our privileged lives I'm talking about. There are obviously women yeah. that People are unable. People want to buy you stuff as well, don't they, when they, when you have a baby? I was just thinking, oh, maybe I should do Exactly. It. No, that's very true. People want to buy you stuff. Yeah. You know, what what can, you know, grandma or auntie or cousin buy you? Well, I'd like, you know, a, yeah. a, a, a gift. You gift vouchers. Gift voucher from the lactation. <laughs> do, do gift vouchers. <laughs> do you? Oh, brilliant. That's so good. That's a brilliant as, gift. As yeah. a guide, how much do you charge? How does it work? So, um, I mean, yeah, we're in the kind of London area, so we're, we're possibly slightly more expensive than other parts of the country. So a lot of people do charge kind of around, around this area, around 120 quid for a um, home visit. At the moment, we're not really doing home visits, obviously, because of um, coronavirus. So we're not, not doing that. But we're, we're doing a lot of video support. And actually, video support is working amazingly well. We're mm. all a bit kind of sniffy of it before coronavirus happens and before lockdown happens. We're just like, well, no, you know, it's not as good as a, you know, it's not as good as a home visit at all. But actually, you can probably do about 90% of what you can face-to-face. Um, -face. So you can over a video call. It's very interesting. Mm, and I've had yeah. babies that have not latched before. I managed to get them latching on. Wow. People. And, you know, nipple shields and things like that, trying to latch without nipple shields. And just, you know, especially if mums actually send you a little video of what their baby's doing as well. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, babies don't always behave themselves and they don't always, you know, do it when you ask. <laughs> yeah, at the four o'clock Zoom time. Yeah. <laughs> it's at four o'clock, you have to feed now. It doesn't always work. So um, actually, I'm finding that works really well. And I think once coronavirus finishes and we start rolling out face-to-face um, -face support a bit more again, I'm actually going to ask people to send me videos anyway because I yeah. think you quite often go to a mum's house and the baby just doesn't 
you know do what they say it does you know and and they can't yeah. show you what their problems are because it's just working well because you're watching it's always babies always behave themselves when there's a lactation result in the room yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> they lack maybe that would that would be a way of being able to offer the services out um a bit you know not for you but say if it was coming from a government point of yeah. view they it would be a bit more cost effective than having to send someone over mm -hmm. they yeah so i've just been involved in a really exciting project which is um it, which has been nhs funded for, so we've had a two-week trial um and it's with a, a a company called peppy who have been um who were kind of sort of providing postnatal support for um large companies so women that work at large companies they could almost like buy in like health insurance so that's the way that they were actually doing it to start with but um when coronavirus hit they all thought to themselves hang on there's got to be something that we can actually do to help and within a couple of weeks they put together this project along with lactation consultants of great britain who i'm a member of and also the nct that three of them have worked together and they've managed to get this project going where so we did a two-week trial and we had had an app and um, we invited, I think it was about 1,200 mums to join us for this um, trial. And they were anywhere between pregnancy and about six, seven months, I think. It was kind of went up to that kind of thing. And they had um, chat groups, which were had a kind of chat practitioner who were qualified in breastfeeding support. Um, so a lot of them were lactation consultants, actually. And, um, and then they could book in with a one-to-one -one session if they were having more... Um, difficult problems they they were having kind of gentle sleep support as well and mental health support too and they could opt to join into all of these different things it was absolutely brilliant um i did kind of eight face-to-face -face sessions for them um over the two weeks which was lovely worked really really well we did some workshops so i did an antenatal workshop and i did a kind of naught to six weeks workshop where we kind of just did more kind of general you know a bit like a mm. piss walk group really uh, so that was really lovely and um so basically we're just waiting on feedback now and it's sounding very promising because all the feedback's been amazing yeah and if they if the government say yes <laughs> they're going to actually try and roll it out to the whole country which would be amazing so you never know watch this space it might be yeah real. that would be so amazing <laughs> but in the meantime if anyone's listening now who's pregnant and needs to think about it i highly recommend investing in a lactation consultant it is <clears throat> yeah. the most surefire way to ensure you know successful long-term breastfeeding can we pivot back around to the um multiples feeding yes. multiples my sister is actually pregnant with twins oh, um and very hell-bent on breastfeeding so um and i know a lot of people you know with twins and, and or tri i've actually got a friend with triplets who breastfed as well she's amazing um so yeah talk to us about that because i think the misconception is that um it's going to be too hard it's not possible yeah. we can't do it so you know let's just even let's just forget about even entertaining the idea yeah this is this is what and this is kind of where i've put most of my energy i'd say in the last certainly in the last 10 years or so is to try and empower twin mums and triplet mums that they can breastfeed if they want to and you know it's absolutely um fine and they will do it the problem is we get everybody telling us at comp as soon as you announce that you're expecting twins you know they oh well you won't be able to breastfeed uh, yeah. them you know you won't make enough milk they're not going to be able to do that you know just form a feed it's much easier you won't be able to cope you won't be able to you know you just get this from everybody and it's I say about the birth as well as yeah. soon as you say you're having 
twins oh it's gonna be traumatic area and you won't be yeah, able yeah. to you know and it's all a, you know load of rubbish to be honest so you know we do have a slightly more risk you know when you're expecting a multiple birth it's a high risk pregnancy so there are more things that can go wrong you know you, you are more likely to have an early baby or early babies i should say you're more likely to have a premature birth you know you're you're more even if your babies are fairly full term, they, they they still tend to be earlier, you know, so maybe 38 weeks at the latest quite often. So they're sleepier, they're sort of um, smaller on average as well, because um, multiple births, they don't grow quite so fast in the last trimester because there's not enough room. So babies are often a little bit smaller. That means that they, a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, when you think about it, you, you know, although I was the size of a bus, so, you know, I'm not quite sure. Mine were quite a good size, to be fair, but nowhere near as big as my single ones who have been getting on for twice as long. <laughs> so, and, um, you know, and, you know, so there's just more, slightly more hurdles to get over, you know. Um, a lot of um, twins are born around 37 weeks. Um, 36 to 37 weeks and, and babies of that age are quite often really sleepy and quite hard to actually exclusively breastfeed and so you end up triple feeding we call it where you end up breastfeeding pumping and topping up and it's you know pretty full-on experience but what a lot of people don't realize is that you can get past this again we just just like breastfeeding a single baby if you can get past the first bit Mm. later on it's just so much easier than any other way of feeding your baby because it's just you know what what your boobs out put your baby on it's really really yeah you know, so much easier in fact. but how do you logistically like how do you do it because i've got a friend that had twins who formula fed um didn't breastfeed at all and she said the only way she was able to get through it was she put the babies in the bouncers held the bottles like that and that was you must have really strong arm muscles if you're holding <laughs> do you feed them both at the same time or do you feed them so it's completely up to you, really. It, dep it depends what, what mums like to do. So um, I always, whenever I'm supporting a twin mum or a triplet mum, I always make sure that I enable them to tandem feed, which is feed them both together so that they can if they want to, because um, obviously both babies are going to cry at the same time at some point. <laughs> it's yeah. just going to happen, isn't yeah. it? You know I mean? And also then it saves time, because if one's been fed and then you put that one down and the other one, that time that you would have had in between to sleep or wash the dishes or whatever it might be you don't have they do like to tag team exactly so i, I you know so it, but some mums do prefer to single feed and they don't really enjoy tandem feeding and that's absolutely fine if they prefer to do that as well so um i think especially as they get older as well they tend to feed more quickly so then single feeding is quite a good option later on um for me i was an ad, you know absolutely avid tandem feeder and i used to get very stressed if i didn't do it <laughs> so, oh really like, i'm not gonna be able to cope if i don't tandem feed so you know for me it was something that actually made it doable so i i found it very useful um i had you a, I was, remember which one you fed right as well well that's the other thing if you tandem feed you fed both so you yeah. know you don't have that problem so I, yeah, i'm very disorganized so that would have been a nightmare for me <laughs> um uh, but if i'd formula fed i would have forgotten to take the milk out because i used to go out without nappies and all sorts of stuff and just you know so it thank goodness that my boobs were attached to my body <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you breastfed tilly yeah. oh god of course lauren it was so much easier in the end <laughs> You have to be really organised to form the feed. You really yeah. do. You have to remember yeah. everything in the water and, you know, you know it's like, ah. Anyway, and so, uh, you know, for me, in the long run, it re worked out really, really well. It was really hard to start with. It was so intense. It was unbelievable. I have no recollection of the first six weeks at all. It's completely yeah. fog. You know, and I just, yeah, don't remember anything about it. And a lot of mums are like that. So we really just have to kind of sort of bed down and dig deep. And again you just you need even more breastfeeding support and the main problem we have at the moment in our society is is because one breastfeeding isn't even valued particularly anyway 
but if you're expecting twins that you, you everyone just tells you you can't do it yeah so you actually get less breastfeeding support when you actually kind of deserve more breastfeeding support mm. yeah. so one of the things with the charity that we've set up is to actually try and kind of educate everybody that one you can do it and two that these mums really do deserve a lot of breastfeeding support they really should be given extra help and you know um to get get breastfeeding going because they deserve to have a nice breastfeeding journey just like everybody else you know what i mean so (laughs) so we're really trying to work on one of the main things that we're trying to work on is actually um kind of to educate health professionals on how to support mums who are experiencing the in the kind of more typical problems that maybe twin mums you know end up doing which is a lot of the time ending up basically topping up with formula or having to triple feed and pump a lot of pumping to start with and how to kind of move them on from that because a lot of mums are just discharged from hospital their babies are not breastfeeding well enough to fully breastfeed and then they're just left to it and they're not told what to do next and so mm-hmm. they either carry on mixed feeding, which, you know, it, it can work really well. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But a lot of mums don't want to do that. And actually, you know, you can you can kind of help them to move back towards exclusive breastfeeding quite, you know, mm-hmm. with a bit of work and support there. It's completely possible. We have amazing breastfeeding um, stats on our group. I mean, I know it's a breastfeeding group, so we're going to have very high breastfeeding rates, obviously. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not anything to do with what's happening in the in the wider community outside of, you know, in, in the UK. But in our breastfeeding groups, we have a, um, a much higher rate of breastfeeding at four, four to five, no, five to six months of exclusive breastfeeding than we do at birth and then six weeks. So it gradually goes up and that's the opposite direction wow. of what happens in the UK where it goes down. Wow. So you mean you can get people, if they've started doing a bit of formula because they just got overwhelmed, they can actually wean themselves off the formula just to, oh, that's good. Yeah. That. That's yes, most definitely. There doesn't seem, I don't know where the window of opportunity is for for managing to, you know, establish your full milk supply. I don't know what that is. There doesn't seem to be any research and I think it's very individual for each mum. So, you know, we've, we've also had you know a doctor saying to a mum well you know you're six weeks in and you're only producing 50 percent of the milk for your babies you can't make any more now mm. and that's just not the case i always i always use the um the analogy of i know um well, we had to have ivf and at the time we were looking into adoption and all sorts of things and i was in an adoption group on facebook and um there were women on there who did adoptive breastfeeding and and I also know someone who had to have a surrogate um, for her second, and she did that as well. While the surrogate was pregnant, she was pumping uh, for ten weeks before to in, to uh, induce the milk supply. And I just think if they can do that, what? Sorry, hang on, Lauren. You mean someone created milk when she wasn't pregnant? Yeah, go on, Catherine. I'll, I'll hand this one over to you. <laughs> <laughs> Tilly's face right now. Yes, it is possible. You don't actually have to have had a baby in order to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. I know, it's amazing, isn't it? And also, Mind-blowing, right? It's totally crazy. I've never heard that. If you teach the, the female body that there is a baby coming, it will produce milk to feed that baby. Yeah, so there's, so there's a different ways of doing it, but sometimes literally just the act of hand expressing and, and then moving on to pump once, the, once something begins to happen can actually stimulate a milk supply anyway but then there are sort of different medication kind of routes that you can go down as well to kind of speed the process up a little bit but ideally if you know we don't if you start it early on enough from what i've seen from people that have done it you don't really need to go down the medication process 
yeah there's uh, there's just you know many different ways of, of going about it and it's really kind of up to so the best thing to do if you're in that situation is to is to do research read everything mm. there's a great book okay. called breastfeeding without birthing and i can't remember who wrote it but there's a really good, good book uh, out there which is a really really good guide um but also there's a and there's a lot of um you can relactate as well so we do we do have a, there's a great facebook group called uk relactation and adoptive breastfeeding so it yeah it's both um both scenarios but you know we we get a lot of mums on that group i'm only in it sort of for learning purposes and the odd I just put the odd encouraging comment every so often. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not really my group, but I like hanging out. There. Uh, but <laughs> so, so, but a lot of mums there who have completely stopped breastfeeding because either you know they didn't have the support or they you know just stuff went wrong basically, and they've completely stopped, and they can actually restart again and 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 start going. And there's an amazing lactation consultant called Lucy Ruddle who's just she's just written a book. She runs this group, and she she did the same with her baby as well. Wow. Her second child, I think she had to was it first or second? I can't remember can't remember one of them i think it was first actually that she had totally relactated before that she'd stopped breastfeeding wow and so yeah. she's kind of made that her specialism there but yeah no it's 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 certainly possible so there's there is no you know so if you are struggling and, and you're not getting a full supply for whatever reason at the moment it, it, the end is you know it's not nigh you can do something about it with a bit of support well, I'm, I, my, my baby's nearly 19 months and i feel like i haven't heard that letdown for about four or five days now I feel like no milk's been coming out. It probably has, but just a bit more slowly. You know, so it's kind of one of those things where... I just haven't heard, you know, you hear it when it yeah. comes down and then I hear it going in her mouth and I hear the swallowing and I haven't haven't had any indication that any milk's come out for a few days. You should ask her, say, is there still, still got milk? <laughs> so yeah, she, she says. It doesn't seem phased, but... Is there is there a link with um, your so if a mum is really exhausted because they had a hard birth that the milk supply is not coming or if you're not well or you're just very tired is it is it is there a correlation between that? Or be, especially with blood loss is quite a big one. So if you've had quite a lot of blood loss after birth, it can it can mean that your milk takes a little bit long to come in. So you have your your um, your milk comes in after the birth of the placenta, and it's usually sort of two to three days after the birth of the placenta. It can be a little bit later um, with a more medicalised birth or with a more, um, uh, you know, if you have a maybe a premature birth, thing, some things like that, it can take a little bit longer to... Or caesarean, maybe, sometimes. Caesarean. The, the research behind caesarean is a little bit... You know, a lot of people say this, actually. It's more to do with the trauma that leads up to the caesarean that causes the milk to be later come in, if you see what I mean. But, yeah, it, you know, and things like um, gestational diabetes and things like that as well can have a bit of a knock-on effect with your milk coming in a little bit later so it just means that your baby is then more likely to need topping up in that kind of you know it's after day two three but whilst your milk's coming in you know what i mean and that mm. can just mean that you just yeah. don't set off as well as you could have done that had your milk come in and a lot of women don't actually know that when you say the milk come in it's just colostrum for the first few days and like you say the human race has survived on that and just and colostrum not just colostrum colostrum is the most amazing i know no 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 i don't colostrum is liquid gold i know but in terms of the yeah, milk it's very small quantities and it yeah, yeah it's very very um concentrated because that's all the baby needs that's what the baby yeah, exactly. needs for the first few days and there's a reason that nature has has ensured that that has happened in that way right because the baby's stomach at the time of birth is the size of a marble i yeah. heard really tiny exactly and they like like lots of and and the colostrum is so so concentrated and it's absolutely full of immunity just like completely rammed and so it's like giving them their first vaccinations when you when you you know you, ha you have your 
a natural vaccination. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's really against against all um, anything that they could come into contact with. You know what I mean? It's the most amazing stuff that you can you can do. Um, so yeah, or even if you don't want to breastfeed and you want, you know, you, you prefer to formula feed, it's really good to give them colostrum, you know. Yeah, even if you do just that bit, yeah. Set everything up really, really well. Oh, so um, thank you so much. We kind of probably have to start wrapping up now. And obviously you've got four children at home somewhere. Very quietly, I've got to say. Yeah, I've been coming interrupted. It makes a change. I only have a visitor when I'm doing something. But yeah. <laughs> um, So if there was just one thing you kind of wanted, just to, to, to the message that you want to share. I mean, I know you've given us so much information. What would... You know what would you what would you say to people do the research go online yeah so you know when you're expecting a baby do your research do some reading do watch some videos there's loads of great youtube videos out there as well on on sort of getting a good latch um there's some um you know try and hook up to an antenatal breastfeeding session find your local breastfeeding support and especially at the moment with coronavirus find what they're offering as well because obviously it's not as uh, set up as it would be normally um hopefully it will be back to normal at some point but you know a lot of the areas do still have their breastfeeding support groups they um you know so it's w worth googling breastfeeding support and just stick your postcode and, and something will come up and you can kind of contact them it's worth contacting before baby arrives because you don't want to be having to kind of find all these things mm. once your baby's here although that can be someone else's job you can, you can tell someone else to find you some best support you know find your local lactation consultant drop them an email and say hi you know how, do you yeah. do that? how, do, how would women go about finding their local lactation consultant? So lactation consultants of great britain have a have a find an ibclc um bit of their uh, website so you know so that's quite a good way to a lot of us are registered on there that's um so we're all on there um and you or and again googling um so you want to always look if you're looking for a lactation consultant always make sure they have the ibclc after their name because that's international yeah. board certified lactation consultant because a, a lactation consultant actually isn't a protected term so anyone can call themselves a lactation consultant mm. with no training so you have to make sure they have ibclc after their name right. um, and, and they register on the uh, IBLCE, which is the wrong way, oh, it's just so confusing. Uh, <laughs> so you can, there is actually a register of everybody who has passed the IBCLC exam internationally, there's a register. So you can actually check somebody is actually on there and they are, they are who they, they say they are. Right. We'll make sure to put all that in the show notes so it's not too confusing. And <laughs> where can people find you? Um, I'm uh, on all over the place. I have a website which is um, Catherine Stagg, IBCLC.com, uh, and I'm on all the socials as well. So I'm on, I've got a Facebook page, Catherine Stagg, IBCLC. I'll make it really easy. So um, they're all called the same thing Instagram. I and... found you straight away. I just put your name in Google and your website came up first. So there you go. Yes, I'm, I'm Googleable quite easily. And uh, yeah, I, I tweet a bit, but I'm not very big on Twitter. But um, I'm sort of getting used to Instagram. We're getting there, and Facebook is probably my main one. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. And the, and the Twins and Triplets UK group is on Facebook. Yeah, we have Breastfeeding Twins Triplets UK is the Facebook group. We also have a Facebook page, Instagram as well, and we also have a website which is breastfeedingtwinsandtriplets.co.uk, which has lots of articles on it to help you with the, the sort of specific problems that twin mums come across as well. Amazing. Um, so we we usually. Um, end every show with this little thing we do called what are we into where we just talk about something we're into this week um so we did warn you about this first so you've had time to think about something but tell you what you into this week um are we um going to do the thing of what we're not into this week That's what are you... <laughs> coronavirus week nine and we're like sick of being at home because i think the thing that i'm not into at the moment is the domestics 
four yeah. people in the house all day, every single day. Laundry, yeah. movie. Um, my son Arthur said to me the other day, Mom, I think you're addicted to hoovering. <laughs> Although I do quite like hoovering, so I kind of know what he means, but uh, yeah, I am I'm getting a bit sick of that. I want to be able to leave the house a bit more, but there you go. So. I'm into, yeah, not what I'm not into as well, which is I'm fed up of homeschooling my children. So we're just doing a what are you not into this week all round. So that's fine. You don't want to home. You're not into homeschooling. She's I'm not, not into homeschooling. It. Yes, they they are. They're doing okay, and we're doing okay, and we are actually managing to do a bit of work. But goodness sake, we there is just an argument. You know what I mean? Every single day, it's just like. So I've got a six-year-old, a ten-year-old, and two fifteen-year-olds. Wow. So they're um obviously their education levels are very different at the yeah, moment so, yeah. so challenging it's interesting yeah i so, think um yeah the 15 the older ones are they're quite independent but i would i would think the 10 year olds probably maths would probably even be, be beyond me at this point now the 10 year old is the, it actually is the most challenging the five the six year old i kind of just give up with after an hour and as long as he's you know maybe written something or read something or something like that you know what i mean he's yeah so you yeah but yeah, the ten ten year old's proven quite challenging. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Input, but then he doesn't like having the parental input either. <laughs> so we are coming to blows slightly. Anyway. Lucky it's Friday tomorrow. One more day, hey. <laughs> well, I am not into taking out the bins anymore. I'm just done with the bins. And That's a um, job, isn't it? Come on. It is, but you know what? He what that was. It was done. I said at the beginning of lockdown. Listen, I'll do everything. Do the washing and you know the cooking and the cleaning and the washing up. You have to take the bins out, but he's in the office so much and they just get full. And if I wait for him to come, then. But I do. I do want to talk about one very quick thing that I am hugely into, which is um, oh, I've just pressed it by mistake. So I wanted to get it up. Brene Brown's amazing podcast. Um, I'm trying to. I can't even remember what the actual podcast it's called. You you told me that I need to listen to Mm. it. Yeah, it's called Unblocking Us or Unlocking Us. But there's one in particular where she talks about, um, where she talks with Glennon Doyle, who's written the most unbelievable book called Untamed. So um, I would just highly recommend that to everyone because I'm loving the podcast and loving the book. Um, so yeah, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, that's okay. Imparting your so wisdom much. on us. And I hope that uh, um, many people can take away um, all the amazing things you've told us about breastfeeding. She's been, you've been myth busting actually. Hasn't yes. Been <laughs> Catherine the myth buster. <laughs> Breastfeeding myth busting. You know, thank you so much. Lovely. Um, and good luck with homeschooling. Yeah, good luck. Will I survive? Lots of love. Thank Lots you. Love. Bye. Bye. Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Healthy Happy Home. We're so grateful to every single one of you who chooses to press play. Please connect with us over on Instagram at Healthy Happy Home Podcast. We have a heap of amazing giveaways and discounts. And remember to use the hashtag Elevation Nation. And if you enjoy our show, why not tell your fellow elevators about us or people who you think could benefit from each episode message? Rating, reviewing and subscribing to Healthy Happy Home will also help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. Thank you to Mega Home Water Distillers for sponsoring this season of Healthy Happy Home. Head over to megahome-distillers.co.uk to learn more about the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller on the market and to benefit from a 5% discount as a listener of Healthy Happy Home, 
by using the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Megahome.